0: Hi, welcome to the second installment of the I Am Lake Worth podcast. I'm your host, Carl Stoveland, and I'm the photographer behind this whole project. Currently, the show can be seen at Hatch 1121 at 1121 Lucerne Avenue in Lake Worth, Florida. As part of the exhibit, we have done an interview series. This third and final interview was done with mixed media artist from Plantation, Florida, Jen Jovan Walls. She's one of my favorite people and a really, really great interview guest. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and I hope you'll join us. Thank you everyone for coming tonight. I'm really glad you're here. Um, this has been an exciting part of the I Am Lake Worth project that we didn't anticipate when we started. It was going to be the, the show of the photographs and have open hours. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be gallery sitting and... I'm going to have all this time, let's put it to good use, and let's have some events and make sure we get people to see the show that might not see it or give them a second chance to see it. Um, and the, the idea of recording it was brought to me by a sound engineer friend of mine who, when he found out I was actually doing interviews, he said, you know, let's, let's archive them. He taught me how to do the recording, so we're going to do future stuff with them. So that said, our interview today is Jen Walls, mixed media painter, Pembroke Pines? Plantation. Plantation, sorry. I'm still new to South Florida. I do get a little confused. Um, I'm already out of order. So here's a question for the
1: audience. How long do you have to live in South Florida before you're no longer new? New, yes. (laughs) I think you're not new anymore.
0: (laughs) That could be. (laughs) Then I'm certainly not new anymore. Before I go any further, I would be remiss if I didn't thank our sponsors, um, which are the CRA and Lake Worth Arts is sponsoring the entire project. Um, So thank you guys for that. Uh, Couldn't have Couldn't have done it without having a space to do it in and a date looming over my head in order for me to actually get this thing done in this phase of it. So I thank you guys. At the opening, we had Matthews Brewery provided beer for us, so I have to thank them for their donation. And then our great sponsors for the lecture series, which has been Common Grounds Coffee, who have been here with us for all three of these. So thank you for that. Okay. Um, I'm going to read about Jen to make a little introduction, and this is the introduction to The Storyteller's Apprentice, which we'll be talking about momentarily. So Jen is an artist and illustrator, and she lives in a world of malarkey. I'm too wired.
1: Too much coffee. Okay. Did I unhook
0: you? No, you're good. Okay. I still see the lights going up and down. Okay, I'm gonna. So, Jen is an artist and illustrator who lives in a world of malarkey, which she's gonna have to explain to us. Her studio is crammed with whimsical creatures, moody queens, soulful girls, and Walls has lived a backwards life, beginning with a grown up job and all kinds of seriousness until she was nearly old. Then, shazam, she fell heading into the world of art and has been playing ever since. How did, how did that happen?
1: So I was a banker. The worst of things.
0: The worst of my things. brother's a banker.
1: Commercial banker. You know, I was sales prevention. That was the credit department. So I said no. I was preventing sales everywhere I went. So that was my job. And... <laughs> And uh, so I have to be- go back from that. Why was I a banker? Because my mother, who was a very traditional watercolorist, when I was 10 years old and she tried to teach me to paint something, found that I had no patience for it. And she banned me from art forever. My mother was a very tough woman. And she said, you will never, never create. You'd be doing a disservice to the world. Do not create your band. And so when I was about 47 years old, a friend of mine said, we're going to a painting class. And I said, you don't understand. I've been banned be banned from art. Yeah, I've been banned. She dragged me anyway, and I started painting, and I quit everything, and I've never looked back. That was almost nine years ago, so, yeah. You can't be banned.
0: That, that's funny. I have a story where I almost banned myself. My mom was a painter. My dad worked in photo labs. I had art all around me. And one of my dad's friends when I was a kid was a police um, detective in Newark, New Jersey. And uh, I was fixated on dragnet for whatever reason. And uh, I asked my dad's friend, Nick, I said, Nick, would you interrogate me? I was seven years old, and I wanted—I was a weird kid. Um, everyone else is playing football, I'm at ceramics camp, I'm that kid. Um, And I said, Nick, would you interrogate me? And so he does, and he sits me down in the the boardroom of this uh, club that they both belong to and takes out the tape recorder and puts out the microphones and starts talking and asks me my name and my age. And then he says, what's your favorite subject in school? And, well, I love art. But then the little boy brain in me starts kicking in, and I think about it for a second, and I go, Jim, yeah, Jim's my favorite. You know, those stereotypes are already hammered down, even with artistic parents at that age, it was really kind of amazing. So I did a little self-imposed time away from art, but you can't keep it down. It just kind of takes over anyway, doesn't it?
1: Thank you for freeing yourself. No. (laughs) Because of this. Look
0: at that. Ah, this just, this amazes me, but the response to it is what amazed me. This room with 150 people in it at the opening, just, I... Went home and cried that night. It was just amazing. Um, So from when you first took that jump into seeing art and getting involved, how long was that transition to, all right, I'm going to do this full time?
1: Uh, It was about four years after I picked up a paintbrush.
0: That's a pretty rapid...
1: Yeah. I don't do anything slow.
0: I guess not. Uh -uh.
1: Do I? Marlene's my friend here. She can attest, because I've dragged her into this world kicking and screaming now. (laughs) Yes, so my friend Marlene here, who met me at the um, Florida Home Show um, when she was just dabbling in paint, and, um, you know, a year later, she was winning her first awards and showing everywhere and selling pieces because I dragged her kicking and screaming. So all of y'all, pay it forward. Whatever it is you do, drag someone else and make them do it.
0: And you've been doing it all together like nine years. Nine you said years. that's yeah. pretty impressive, especially when you consider the the rate that you sell at. I have to brag on my friend here for a minute. Um, I went to a discussion that you were part of three three artists down at ArtServe about marketing your art and how to sell it. And during the course of that conversation, it came out that in last year, I think it was, you sold Around two hundred pieces—is that about right? It's
1: just under that, yeah, that year. Mm
0: -hmm. All right, that's really, really big time. It is. And congratulations on that. I'm not a
1: high-priced painter. There, I don't sell high-priced. I just sell a lot.
0: And it's working. And you're doing it with making connections with people, and um, you have a lot of repeat customers.
1: I do. And what's really interesting um, in the art community, we tend to. How many of you are artists, first of all? Okay. So you know in the art community, a lot of artists are really mean. Have you noticed that? They're a little bit snarky. They don't want to share their secrets. They don't want to talk about how they got into here or what they do about that. But what I've learned is that half of my customers and my collectors are artists. Why would I ignore other artists? Why wouldn't I just share with them everything that I've learned and help them on their journey because we are one collective tribe of creative people and we need to lift each other up. It's already hard enough being an artist.
0: We are a community. Absolutely. Um, I agree with that 100%. Yeah,
1: so I think we, you know, artists are collectors too because we need to surround ourselves with other things that inspire us, not just our own stuff that we're going to look at it and go, "Geez, why didn't I fix that?" You know, right? How many of you do that? Look at your own piece and say, "Oh, take it oh, down." Yeah. And
0: <laughs> My house, Wendy and I have a collection of other people's art that we love to look at. You're right, it is. Um, it is, And the people that I have come across and, and met have, through art have become my truest friends. You're right, they're my tribe. Okay. So if you guys want to follow Jen's adventures further into her artistic world, that's going to be um, www.jenwalls.com and instagram.com slash Jen Jovan Walls.
1: Everyone has my card, right? All right. Yes. Hit See? me up. Follow me. Call me. Email me. She, come she over doesn't for tea.
0: miss a chance to market herself and that's because she's making connections with people. I was really, really impressed by that. That you you seem to slip into that person
1: that's quite easily. That's Lola. My my self portrait on the front, that's my alter ego. When I need to come out and do my art thing, that's Lola, not Jen. And she can talk to anyone. Because it's Lola, so she was a (laughs) showgirl. We're getting to that one.
0: So uh, tell us about your current project, The Storyteller's Apprentice.
1: Ah! All right, so everyone has the bookmark. So this is incredible. Uh, I have to go behind here. Okay. I have a few books to my name, fortunately. But um, this one, and I can't even show it to you because it's not here yet. It comes out um, 1st of September. Um, It's a collaboration, and it's backwards, just like my career was backwards. Um, A a young artist in um, North Carolina who admired my work, she was a landscape painter, and she messaged me one day and said, hey, you want to do a collaboration? Why don't you put some of your girls on my landscapes? I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm always up for collaboration. I think that's the best way, if you've ever heard my elevator speech, collaboration is the best way to move forward, when you have the energy of two people, and you have two people's tribes and you're creating a new thing together and then you all feel this kumbaya moment and you're feeding off each other's energy and lifting each other up when you're having a slow moment or you're doubting. Anyway, so I love collaboration. She started sending me these backgrounds, I started throwing girls on them about a year later. I said, geez, we've got 25 of these, what are we going to do, I think they need a story. So there was a writer who had come to one of my workshops when I was driving up to Charlotte giving workshops. And she was a middle grade girls fantasy fiction writer. And I called her up and I said, do you like writing a book? And she's like, of course. I said, except the illustrations come first. And she's like, what do you mean? So I said, here's the illustrations.
0: Oh, that's phenomenal. Write a
1: story. And she's like, whoa, mind blown. So <laughs> a year later, we pitched it to um, a publisher. And publisher said yes, which never happens. Um, so yeah, so Storyteller's Apprentice, which is an illuminated novel, so full-color pictures, beautiful case-bound book with all the pretty cover and the things you always wished you could hold as a child, made to look on antiquey pages, like it's an enchanted storybook. So it comes out in September.
0: Well, congratulations. That's... Yes, yes. That was a big undertaking.
1: But really, um, uh, you know, I think a lot of artists, you don't have to be an illustrator to collaborate in books. So it got started with, who's heard of um, 100 Love Notes Project? No one, but me and Marlene. Um, So actually, because it started in North Carolina, this is um, a book, and and you can pass it around. My art's in here in a couple places. Um, There was a gentleman by the name of Hong Yi who lost his wife to ovarian cancer. And on the one-year anniversary of her passing, he and his children went out into the streets of Charlotte and had written a hundred love notes and passed them out to strangers to say, love the person that you love right now because they might not be here tomorrow. And the Today Show picked him up and all kinds of national press picked him up. He went out to California on talk shows. Everyone was loving the story and so this project came out and he was asking um, artists to just respond to the love notes He goes, I'm not gonna tell you what to paint, just here's one of the love notes paint what you feel. And so you had about 17 artists that were in this book, and I was lucky enough to be one of them who are sobbing while we're painting, because these love notes are exquisite. What a phenomenal project. Right? And so it is now a a worldwide phenomenon. It's been out for a couple of years. But it it really brought to light, again, collaboration. You have 17 artists. You have just this guy, who's known for wearing bow ties and colored socks or whatever, (laughs) who just happened to love his wife, and everyone just fell in love with the story. So it's all about sharing your story and sharing it with other people because when you connect your story with another person's story, well, now you have a new story, right? And so the story of that book to me is just as exciting as the story of Hong Yi and his love notes. Um, It was a labor of love. So then, uh, as I'm working with this gallery and all these other artists, I come across a 70-something-year-old woman named Mary Cox, is 4 feet tall and happens to be a poet. And she and I clicked. We'd never met before. We exchange information. She starts following me on Facebook, and before I know it, every time I post a piece of art, she's posting a haiku about my art. She's like, "Yeah, I really like that. Here's a haiku." So we did that for a while, and then I'm like, "Oh, Mary, we need to do a book." So <laughs> Then we did this book, which is... In fact,
0: the book was done at that point.
1: We had had all the material. (laughs) We just needed to put it together. So it was like, okay, but again, it's it's not illustrations, really. It's paintings and a poetic response, but again... Paintings came first.
0: Maybe backwards is the way to go. Backwards
1: is the way to go, yeah. Um,
0: It seems to be your overarching theme at the moment.
1: It is. Um, This one was forwards, though. Um, This one just came out um, a couple months ago. And this was um, traditional. So, this is one where someone looks me up and says, I'd like you to illustrate a book for me. I'll pay you money. I'm publishing my book. And so, this little lovely book for young kids um, just came out. But that was very traditional. So, by doing collaborations, and getting my name out there in the world, now people are pr- approaching me for traditional work. So it just keeps... It's
0: ripples in the pond, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need people to see you, to appreciate you, and then it just goes from there. Exactly. I can't tell you the number of opportunities that have presented themselves in the last two weeks just since this got started, you know, um, which is really kind of amazing to me. And exciting stuff, and, and big, big things are coming for this show in the future. What other projects are you working on right now?
1: Um, So I was asked to speak, who knows about um, the Florida Watercolor Society? It's a big deal in Florida. I was asked to speak at their um, convention in September. Um, So I'm working on my presentation for that.
0: Any uh, glimpse into what topic you're going to cover?
1: Oh, they want it to all be about selling art.
0: Of course. that's
1: what every artist wants to know. So, yes. And especially with The the Watercolor Society where you're dealing with really reclusive people who just they don't know anything about social media or anything, they really want to know, why do I need to do social media? Why do I need to talk to other people? I always hear, my art sells itself. Your art does not sell itself. Your art cannot speak. <laughs> and, in, and with most art, especially um, art that's anything but traditional, you stand in front of it and you're not sure what you're supposed to think until someone tells you why they painted it, what's it about, what feelings went into it, or how they struggled with it, and all of a sudden you're feeling the painting, but you didn't feel it before they told you. You have to tell your story.
0: And whether or not that's actually the impression they get from it, they need that comparative point to start absorbing the work.
1: They do. I mean, who looks at Rothko's color blocks and says, I don't get it, right? Until somebody <laughs> explains to you how this whole thing came to be about and the perceived process by which he came to these blocks of color and all the layers that are under it and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, blown away. But you just ten minutes before that you're going, oh, I don't get it, they're blocks of color, right? So you got to tell your story, because no one else is going to do it for you, and your art doesn't do it.
0: That's Except this girl. She stuff. tells lots
1: of stories, but I can't keep her quiet. So.
0: And what she saying right now? She's saying Maybe what? you should introduce her.
1: This is uh, the wild divine child. Uh, she is the little wild thing in, in each of us that wants to get out and play in the forest and grow antlers and be sad if she wants to or happy if she wants to, whisper to birds and be unfettered by the trappings of society. So yes. That's
0: unfettered, her. that's a good thing.
1: Unfettered That's good. At least she's clothed. <laughs> That's a start. <laughs> yeah,
0: there are wood nymphs. They <laughs> like to run around with, in the all together. Yes, all together. Okay, so we mentioned um, when I was reading your little blurb there, um, malarkey. Talk about what malarkey is to you and why it's important.
1: I think that all grown-ups gotten how to play. How many agree? How many of you just feel like you can play with wild abandon and not care what anybody thinks? We worry about what we put on before we leave the house every day as to what someone else might think about it, whether it's acceptable, do I look appropriate?
0: I said gym class.
1: You said gym class instead of saying art. So um, I think we need permission to play and be silly and shenanigans and malarkey and mischief and all that. If How how will we keep that youthful excitement in anything we do if we've given up playing? I don't think being grown up means you can't play. It means you do your responsibilities and you play because play makes you feel good and makes other people feel good. And so the malarkey is unexpected.
0: Well, in that case, I think Lake Worth is full of malarkey. and It is. It, it, it brings out the malarkey in people, which is what Wendy and I liked so much when we found it. We We found our place because it was a little bit more free and less buttoned up, and we got to be ourselves a little bit. So. And you feel
1: that as soon as you drive into the downtown area. You feel that sense of, okay, you can relax here, let your hair down, be what you want to be, wear a tutu down the street if you feel like it. And I've been known to wear tutus in my presentation. I won't put you through that tonight. But
0: um, That's right, at yeah. our <laughs> survey, you were wearing a tutu when I saw you. That's right. I didn't know what was going to happen tonight. Okay. So we've decided that the malarkey is important and you do things like this. You, you, you speak, you're speaking at the watercolor convention. Um, what do you do when you're gonna be in a setting like this and you have to prepare yourself to bring the malarkey? What's, how do you flip that switch? Cause I know I have it and I use it when I'm gallery sitting cause you have to be on for four or five hours at a time and be chatty and be that person. How do you become? that person? Is there a ritual? What do you do to let it loose? Rituals.
1: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> she puts on Yes, I put on my low list. Sun- no, I wish it were that easy. No, um, so I think like, <laughs> like most artists, someone asks me to come public speak and I'm like, ah, public speaking. Who wants to do that? I'm emotionally naked in front of everyone. Um, but then you really feel like, well, I'm being given this huge opportunity to make someone else enjoy their life and to feel really inspired about whatever they're doing and maybe to leave an impression on them that makes them pay forward that sense of play and excitement and joy to someone else. Um, And so I try to to do that and say, well, how can I best do that? Um, Sometimes it's by wearing a blue tutu. Um, Sometimes, and and it only can be random, so um, how many of you are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, so almost half. You don't count. So nine. So not quite half. I'm sorry, Marlene. You don't count.
0: Um, uh, you count to me, Marlene. Thank
1: God. Okay. So uh, I don't know how to do it fairly. Uh, usually I just give away one thing. But um, you know, I was feeling like, wow, Lake Worth is really amazing. So I'm just going to say, six of you get a piece of original art today because that's my way of saying I'm so happy to be here and spread the joy. There's. Um, wow, that's
0: pretty awesome.
1: I don't know, just have, you know, whatever. People will figure it out because people are good. Um, <laughs> yes, well, don't throw them. You could throw them. So there is a, uh, there is a, uh, I don't, have you heard of the, um, the free art day thing?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so there's like a, a national movement. There's one day a year where you're supposed to as an artist. One day a year you're supposed to, as an artist, take a piece of art, wrap it up pretty, and put it somewhere in public with a sign that says, this is for you. Yes, you. Please take it. And I was so moved by that. I mean, how many people are just sitting on a bus bench and, ah, there's a present for me? I don't know. So I think public speaking can be like that, where you just, you have a chance to give that delight to someone. And so if I look at it that way, I'm immediately prepared. Because I'm not speaking in front of people, I'm playing.
0: Yeah, okay. And is that a full-on separate persona? It doesn't sound like it to me. It's just tapping into something in you and because everything about you has authenticity and I think that has to, you can't force this stuff. You You can't pretend to be on and be that person because people sense that a mile off and you don't have that at all. You're very real so it's not a I guess I've I've met artists along the way that were very charming when you're writing the check and then they can't remember you the next time they see you. Um, But you seem to have tapped into and found a way to bring out the, you know, let's get a little joy going and see where it goes.
1: Well, where that starts um, is knowing your own story, right? So I believe that all marketing is just telling your story and that all connections with humans is sharing your story. So I think as any person, when you're doing your swashbuckling, swashbuckling public thing, if you know your own story and you know it in your heart and you know it hard, like you know your story, it's so easy to just say, this is my story. I'm just telling you my story. I'm not really public speaking.
0: That's why these things have gotten easier and easier as yeah. I've tapped into that. And yeah. it's just, I start telling, you know, little things that I remember. And they are, they're just real and they're there. And you have moments to be able to do it.
1: But you're doing the thing that terrifies all artists. You're being vulnerable. And that's what everyone wants. They really want you to be vulnerable and show them that it's okay to be vulnerable. And so many artists can't do that. They're like, hmm. But you've, you've managed to say, this is who I am, Jim and all. <laughs> you know?
0: it, it, it took me 40 years before I was comfortable enough with me to yeah. just let it all out. And if you like it, you like it. If you love it, you love it. And if you don't, that's okay, too.
1: But people like you said, they connect your authenticity and your vulnerability and they're like, I can be me with him because it's, it's a safe space. Right. You're creating a safe space every time you hold a talk because they feel your energy holding a safe space for people. So,
0: I never figured out how to do that when I was managing a group of 20 people at work. It's just yeah. the agenda of getting the job done. I never figured out how to, how to maintain being the real me all the time. I don't think it's effective in that space necessarily that's a different hat and a different mindset you came from that world previously and you just have to come to peace with it figure it out you know as artists i think it's easier to just be hi this is me this is this is what you get
1: well you're not the boss of these people so you can hold space for them if we just right now all decided that you all work for carl I can bet you right away within 30 minutes you start finding things wrong and maybe feel a little rebellious.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. It's, it's the role and it's the, the pretty, expectation. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Know, so. that makes sense.
1: Not that I wouldn't work for you. I would. <laughs> but I'd be a troublemaker.
0: So. I can't afford to hire anybody. Otherwise, I'd hire you. <laughs> um, so let's talk about where are these beautiful creatures come from. Um, and I guess your previous life, were they there bubbling away inside of you waiting to get out? Or did you have to find the world that they were in? Um, is it a mix of it? Or were you able to purely create the world that they live in and pluck them out? What's, how did, Where did the, all these beautiful, engaging characters come from?
1: Well, I think they're all versions of me. Okay. They have to be, right? Because all we know is ourselves. Um, me or people I relate to closely. Just some aspect, whether it's joy, whether it's sorrow, whether it's a little mischievous. I have, can I swear? I have bitchy queens in my studio. I mean queens that I try to paint all nice and benevolent and they come out like raging bitches. And I paint over their faces and it's bitchy again. (laughs) And so that's inside of me too. And I just have to let them come out and put them in a corner facing the other way and say whatever, you know. Talk to the hand
0: <laughs> Painting the truth at that moment. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, but I really I try not to ever question where they come from or to delve too deeply because there's a whole magic about them and they just appear organically when I paint and I don't want to I don't want to pull the curtain away from where the wizard's hiding and find out it's just a dude, right? Because then it won't be as fun. So
0: Well, that's absolutely true.
1: Not that there's anything wrong with dudes, but
0: <laughs> but when you find out that the Wizard of Oz is this little dude behind the curtain, it's very, it can really take the light out of your fire it's for like, a while. I really? know. <laughs> exactly. I don't
1: want to be that. I want my magic slippers to always be working, yeah. so
0: and, and the reason why I framed that question that way is that I don't know where this came from, but years before I did the gym interview, um, I had a dream i felt real, I don't know, but I remember my parents had a bush in their front yard and I lost a ball and went looking and my recollection of it is that I fell down a hole and I met Dr. Theophilus J. Bunny. He has been waiting to come out I and be illustrated for 45 years. Um, he's got this little lab and I can see him in a waistcoat and a gold pocket watch with a chain the whole thing, and it felt so real that this world that he inhabited was there just waiting for me to bring him out. And I keep threatening to make a book out of it, and it's, it's gonna pop out of me one day. I just, it doesn't seem to wanna go away. So I was just curious if, you know, if your queens were hiding there in the background always waiting to come out, or you just managed to tap into them. And it sounds like you, you tapped into.
1: I tapped into. Um I wasn't super imaginative as a young adult. Um, one thing I did do, maybe this tells you that it was simmering there, when I was in banking and I was running a division of Textron, and I got really fed up with how people were just working, working, working all the time, I instituted nap time. And at 3 o'clock every day... Wow, you're that boss. Yes, at 3 <laughs> o'clock every day I turned off all the lights and said, everyone just put your hands down, chill for a minute, don't answer your phones, and I couldn't make them do it. The lights would be off, and they'd be typing away and answering phones. I'm like, I just told you it's okay to put your feet up, put your head down, and just take ten minutes. They couldn't do it. And that's when I started thinking, man, grown-ups, we can't play anymore. Even when we're allowed to play, we can't play. That's terrifying.
0: Uh, and I think we put these walls up, and it's, I'm in my work box, and I, I have to be work gen, work Carl, you know, whatever. Um, and it's very hard to maintain that authenticity you well you have your I'm you know I need to be this person at work because I have to make hard decisions and you know decide who's going to be unhappy out of the three people that are standing in front of me at the at this moment so yeah. it, it's interesting and I mean nap time yeah then when was this how far back
1: uh so I was working for a textron in Rhode Island at that time so that would have been 17 years ago
0: that's pretty far ahead. You were ahead of Google on that one.
1: Yeah, but it didn't last long because it was only like me and one other dude. We were just, all right, lights up. <laughs> yeah, no, couldn't make them do it. But Rhode Islanders, I don't know if any of you are or know them, they're pretty wound up. They're like mini New Yorkers. So,
0: yeah. New Yorkers with their own little flair of attitude.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the R's the, the, turning up everywhere.
0: And the small state <laughs> attitude. Okay, so um, you're a mixed media artist. Yeah. Um, which mediums do you work in? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, that kills the next question. I'm gonna try it anyways. Is there a favorite medium? And that's gonna be probably no. <laughs> well,
1: no, I think, um, and those of you who are artists understand you go through favorites, right? We say we don't have favorites in our families, but we do, and we do have favorite forms of medium at the time when we're playing with them, and right now my current love is gesso mixed with anything. So white gesso mixed with acrylic, white gesso mixed with watercolor, white gesso mixed with charcoal and water, and it's chalky, and organic and I don't know, I'm just kind of obsessed. Who knows the artist Stan Kurth? If you don't, look him up. You're going to want to get to know him. He's very groovy Arizona artist, and he uses a lot of gesso mixed with his very vibrant colors, and it just softens and makes everything a little ethereal, like it's way more complicated and interesting and hard to paint than it is.
0: And I, I can see that in, in the, the smudgy, kind of transitional edges of your work, and I think that's really phenomenal. Okay. Um, I'm moving into a space myself where I'm, I'm, I'm getting tired of titles. Um, or labels, I guess it is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm on the verge of just calling myself a visual artist. I mean, I've been a photographer primarily forever. I mean, I, my first Brownie Hawkeye was when I was seven years old, um, and photography has driven everything else that I've learned. But as I branch out into acrylics and these digital paintings that I'm doing and the watercolor that I've been doing for 10 years or so, um, these the borders of these things are getting very blurry. You know, the digital paintings are really uh the bastard child of my acrylics and my photographs. Um so I I'm I think personally I'm probably at the stage where I'm gonna give up the title of photographer in in certain cases, uh, because I do, you know, work commercially sometimes for money and you know, as a photographer, and I don't think sometimes they would understand that if I said I'm a visual artist. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. Um, but certainly for my gallery kind of stuff, and in this little world there, I am putting myself in a box again. But I'm going to call myself a, a visual artist for that.
1: I think you should, you know, call yourself like King of All That You See, or whatever. I I don't I don't think you need to label yourself that way. There's um. Is anyone familiar with the author Mark Nepo? super deep guy that I try to read as many of his books as possible, like one chapter a week because it's crazy. Uh, Anyway, he wrote in one of his books about when we are moving past the labels that define our jobs and what we create in the world and we start just calling ourselves humans. We actually create better work. We're more, again, that word, unfettered. We're just living our fullest when we stop
0: I want to say I'm about halfway down that road. I know I have a ways to go, and I've shed some things along the way, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) Not entirely.
1: You play with that. You know, you just call yourself King Memory Maker, or whatever you want to do, a little label every day. Just change it up.
0: Okay. Who wouldn't like
1: to see him change his title every day? Right?
0: Yeah? As long as my main title is House Husband or He Who Keeps Wendy Happy, I think that would be okay. As as Wendy smiles in the background.
1: I think that would get you a lot of doors open. Because they'd be like, who's Wendy? How do you keep her happy? How do you get the title? (gasps) How does it pay? (laughs) Are there benefits?
0: Um, How do you think coming from a corporate background affected you? Did it help or hinder you when you said, "Okay"? I'm, I'm a full-time artist. Did having that background and giving you some guardrails help you or box you in? I, I, I seem to be in this boxed-in phase. It's what I'm talking about all night. But how did that work for you?
1: So initially, it told me that there is no way in hell that I could ever succeed. I knew too much in business lending about business to think that on a pure business plan formula I could ever with except with exceptional luck, be very successful at it. So that was on the one hand. And then there was the other hand that said, but most artists don't know how to run a business. What if I ran my art like a business and there did we all go. the things that you're supposed to do because I know how to do them? I could make anything successful. And that's what happened is I sell malarkey. I mean, who doesn't want to do that, right? Who doesn't want to be a purveyor of malarkey?
0: Everyone captures the, the whimsy from your work and right. whichever mood it is that just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you seem to have tapped into something, which is really, really cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about the mix of being an artist. Um, as far as only from the aspect of time, how much of your time is spent in the studio? Do you not let any of the outside world in creep into the studio when you're working? How much time, percentage-wise, do you spend on marketing and other kinds of work?
1: So you want me to give them the bad news? Yeah. Okay. So uh, who knows the 80-20 rule? Everybody. (laughs) 80% marketing and business, 20% whatever it is you create. That's the goal, and that's how you're most successful. Uh, True confessions, it's more like 60-40 right now. Um, My goal is 80-20. But having said that, a lot of artists work whenever they feel like it. I don't do that. I have dedicated time. I go in. I do protect the time. The door's shut, the phone's off, whatever. I'm painting. Uh, If you interrupt me, I'm going to be...
0: One of the bitchy queens facing the other way. the bitchy queen
1: will appear. (laughs) And, you know, I can only sell so many of those. There are only so many people who want that. Um, So yes, I protect it. And when I'm in there, I'm massively productive because 20 times! Oh, and then I'm so excited about what I was playing and creating that that 60% that I'm currently going out there and blogging and posting and trying to find fun things to say about what I do, which really isn't a problem. Um, it just seems like, I can't wait to tell everyone, and then it's not work. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I, I've tried to adopt that as my goal, but what I find is that I get into these frenetic creative bursts where I go for almost a couple days at a time or where all of my attention is on the creative side and then I have to reel myself back in and remember that I have to do the other stuff in order to be able to do the creative stuff. But when the muse strikes, I also don't stop her because I'm afraid it won't visit again. So I I do have to pay some attention to it. I mean, It sounds like you've applied some structure to it and you have it contained and can call on it when you want to, which is amazing. I find I have to be inspired. And then the other thing that happens to me, which I told you when you came in, was that I'll be working in one medium as I'm working away and it's kind of like when I'm riding a bike. You you, you tend to get into the repetitive motion of riding a bike and you don't think about everything else and that's when you get open to ideas. When I'm painting, when I'm, Editing photographs, when I'm doing the creative stuff, that's when the other ideas start to creep in and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about another medium and, you know, what other project can I do? And um, so I have an artistic form of ADD that I'm always struggling with, but it's also what gives me my satisfaction so I don't want to tame it too much and it's it's a balance for me.
1: Well, what I hear you describing is that it's very easy for you to get in flow and once you're in flow where you're not thinking about what you're doing then your mind just starts to play. Yes. Uh, I get that when I'm doing yard work or ironing, repetitive tasks when I'm just sewing boards because I have no inspiration whatever, <laughs> you know. Well,
0: that's a great thing to do is when you're when you don't know what to as a watercolorist, I will stretch paper. Yes,
1: just when I when just I can't sew. paint, yeah. And once you're doing that, then you get in flow and the muse Gently drops down, or sometimes, you know, thuds at the tipped bucket of gesso. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but she'll, she'll appear. Is your muse a he or a she? Uh,
0: I've always referred to it as a she. Um, clumsy, like me, and topples around and lets the cats walk on wet paintings and all kinds That's of... Is true, Wendy? Oh, uh, I am the king of clumsy. I'm a watercolorist because I'm clumsy. Because I broke my my toe on vacation and I had nothing to do, so Wendy went out and bought me watercolors, and that led to a whole different thing for me that I had never done before. That so that's a
1: sacred toe there.
0: It is, and it's it's also about a half inch shorter than it used to be. <laughs> okay, um, in our conversations or um, emails and such, we've chatted about the fact that neither one of us have an outside studio that we both work in our homes. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that work for you? Do you find it as a plus, a minus? Everybody dreams of having a big studio that you can walk to and close the door and shut off the world and have all the room you want. But, you know, reality-wise, you know, maybe somebody wants to paint and is afraid to do it at home. Um, You know, how does having a home studio work for you?
1: So what I find is that most artists are very undisciplined. Who feels that way? So if my studio were outside of my home, I would find a hundred reasons why I shouldn't go that day, or why I was going to be late, or, well, I'm so late now, why would I go at all? If I'm walking past my studio every time I put in a load of laundry, I'm like, oh, I need to get in the studio. So it's just, it forces me to be disciplined. And also, who doesn't want to go to work in their pajamas? I can paint in my pajamas, and I do. So. I need that right there so that it reminds me doo, Okay. do
0: do do When I had my studio and gallery in New York, I you couldn't keep me away from it. We, oh. Julie, who was my partner there, and I made the place so comfortable, or at least as comfortable as you can make a gallery with stuff from Ikea. Um, <laughs> okay. I, we made it a really homey place that we like to hang out at, and I, would, I was there every day, and whether it was working or... Um, what, editing, working on the business side of it, or we had, it was an, an old factory, um, an 1830s dye factory that made calico fabric and uh, uniforms for Civil War, World War I, World War II. Um, the kids in this town, Garnerville, New York, you could tell what day of the week it was by what color they were when they came out of the creek because they were jumping into the color offset from the from the dyes that were produced. Um, and there were 40 buildings and there were these giant brick buildings with tall ceilings and five foot by 10 foot windows that let in natural light. And I couldn't walk past a pair on the table without either setting up a watercolor or photographing it. So for me, I loved having the the private space, my refuge to go to. And it was 10 minutes from the house and it, was, it worked out well. Um, however, at the same time, I'm okay with my dining room. It's working out for us here now. Um, the big thing I don't necessarily like is having to set up and break down every single time I want to work. That—that's a, a drag. A
1: room, all outfitted. That'll work. Nicely tricked out. So.
0: All right, so that's the best of both worlds because you get pajamas and yeah. <laughs> you pimped your studio. I did
1: that? <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so uh, your work is all about. Jen, it's an, it's an offshoot of Jen. It's a personal brand. Your brand is, you're, you're your ambassador for yourself. All artists must be. I, yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and being accessible to your clients has helped you build that repeat business. Because you don't have a lot of one-offs. You have collectors. I do. Um, which I guess if you're going to sell 200 paintings a year is the only way you're going to do it. Um, I don't know. Well I, I,
1: with that limitation on it,
0: Somebody else might have their own way of doing it. you're right. Um, and I guess this comes back to authenticity again, as I was going to ask you, how did you go about creating your personal brand, but you were just being you, weren't you?
1: Yeah, but there was some thought behind it because none of us know when we're starting out, you know, what is it, what is it I like to paint? what is you know what is?
0: What? I knew. It was lighthouses and it was waterfalls. Okay, I don't <laughs> if see I, if, here. if If I, Well, it was a different life, oh, but okay. if, I could, if I could have bought a lighthouse that was next to a waterfall, I would have given up almost everything, even my cats, except Wendy, I would take Wendy, but I would have lived in a, in a lighthouse by a waterfall.
1: Everything I thought about artists, but thankfully, <laughs> I right know there are some very focused discipline artists who know what they want to do and will actually go to work. Anyway, uh, I didn't have that. I didn't have that benefit of, and maybe it's because so much of what I do is imaginary. You know, how do you quantify that? How do you say what that is? So, um, who here journals and works with intentions?
0: Right. I use my blog to do that.
1: Right. Who's read *The Artist's Way*? Yeah, morning pages. I've been doing morning pages for seven years. I still do morning pages. And one year, it was the beginning of the year, I'm like, all right, I, I just have to do this. So every day the intention was, this year I will find my voice. I will find my voice, find my voice, find my voice. And if it wasn't about finding my voice, I wasn't going to do it. And by the end of that year, I knew that I was a purveyor of malarkey, and that I, my goal was to help people play, and that I was my brand, and I didn't feel bad about, you know, selfie-fizing myself in all kinds of quirky paintings or whatever because life's too short and we're too serious. But I really focused on what is it because I didn't know. I had to write about it think about it.
0: And everyone gets there in a different way. Um, you wrote about it. I do write about it sometimes as part of the blog. And I picked up the blog again with this show and started to like 30 days out really start to, to hammer at everything that was going on in my world and kind of trying to document it. But I also found that um, I found my voice simply by doing as well. You can't cut that part out of the power I found. You couldn't find that, cut that part out of the process. Um, I was talking to you and Marlene when you got here about the fact that when I had my studio I was all about um, the technical aspects of portraiture and fancy lighting and more lighting is good and, um, you know, being a snob about how you take a portrait. This project broke all of those rules. I just found people in interesting backgrounds and put them in a shady spot where it wasn't crazy Florida midday light and just let them be them. And and that came from me simplifying how I was trying to work and not thinking about the camera as much and having a chat with them while we worked, Yay, you know sharing stories and just let that become my process and I'm trying to apply that to just about everything I'm doing. So it's, it's interesting how we all get there and what tools we use within us to get to the point we want to get to. And it is a journey, isn't
1: it? Well, the key is to make the journey. I mean, how many people say, I wish I knew, but then they don't
0: yeah, step you know. toward
1: it. You have to seek it. You have to be a treasure hunter, right? Can I get a
0: woohoo? I mean, that's a big deal.
1: Do the wave. Yeah. Hunt the treasure.
0: You know, that's, uh, you know, it's a little bit cliche, but who on their deathbed says, I wish I'd worked more hours, or, you know, I wish I hadn't taken that vacation, you know? So it's absolutely right, yeah, exploring and finding, and um, for us, coming here was an act of becoming. It was a conscious effort, and we did what we, between the two of us, termed aggressive socialization. with New York, we had, the, we had this New York chip on our shoulder, even though we didn't think we had it because we were from the suburbs. We didn't have the New York chip on our shoulder. We had the suburban chip on our shoulder. Um, and we came here and found this charming little city that accepts everybody and wants you to be involved. It just, the city begs you, to get up in the morning and be part of it, and there's always something going on that you can find. And during season, it's absolutely crazy because there might be five events on any given Saturday and Sunday, and you're going to be disappointed that there are three of them you couldn't get to. Here, this time of year, even though it's less people, I mean, there are three things going on tonight that made me think that there wasn't going to be anybody here. So okay. yay, thank you for coming. That's I'm glad, I'm glad you did because it makes the interview conversation much easier when there's Some vibe and energy and people who will listen to and engage in it. Um, So, wow! I lost the thread. (laughs) I totally lost the thread. Shall I interrogate you? Gym class. Gym class. Um, Okay. So this is my emergency question while I regroup, Um, and. It's a cliche and it's trite, but we're going to use it for a minute while I think about what my next question was. And this one is, um, if you could have lunch with any artist from history, A, who would they be? And B, what would you ask them?
1: Lunch. So not breakfast? Not dinner? Any
0: meal you want. I'm not going to put borders on this. (laughs) Oh,
1: That's a really tough one. Um, So I think it would be... um, I think it would be um, Rocco, but not to talk about his color blocks, I would talk about his subway people, which to me are haunting and lonely and, you know, some of them, their faces are blurred away and they're just these husks of people and I would just really want to know why he painted those and, and what he was feeling at the time because I, he's known for all this other stuff, but I keep going back to those. They just those tell me a story. They mm-hmm. just grab my heart, and you know, a lot of paintings do because they're pretty or emotional whatever. But there's just something about those sticky figures in a lonely subway.
0: When and that connection to it that you want to know more. I want to know. I love paintings where I want to know yeah, more. I want to
1: know, and you know, we don't know a lot about how he painted or why he did things. He called himself a myth maker, and. Gods and goddesses. What is he so he didn't that?
0: care about titles either, and he was just making it up. He was, and I All think right. you
1: have permission
0: to do that. I'm going to try it a little bit. Okay. Although I do have to say that um, we, we talked earlier about the fact that your dad was a Mason, yeah. and that my dad was a Mason, and I'm a Mason. When I was made master of my lodge and I was presented with my gavel, that afternoon I came home and wrapped the gavel on the table and said, what are we having for dinner? And Wendy said, that gavel has no authority in my house.
1: (laughs) Go, (laughs) Wendy.
0: She keeps me in check for sure. Um, So I'm still regrouping, so I'm going to answer the question from my point of view too. Um, At one point of my life, it would have been Ansel Adams, um, photographer to photographer. Um, I studied his his technique and the science behind everything quite a bit. And as I'm shooting film again, I'm getting back into that. But he, towards the, over the course of several years at the end of his life, gave an interview from Carmel where um, a writer came to him and recorded him and did, it never came out as a book, but it was this unpublished, unpublished autobiography that NPR has available. Wow. And um, I read that, and I felt like I got that. So he doesn't have to have lunch with me now. Whatever he's doing, he doesn't need to come down and have lunch with me. Um, but for me, um, that lunch or breakfast or whatever time he wants to really fit in, it's Edward Hopper. Really? Um, now, Wendy and I both lived in, or we lived in, Nyack, which was his birthplace. So there was always that connection. The Hopper house where he was born was down the street from where we lived. And I always had that that place connection to him. And some of his, the houses that are in his paintings with the mansard roofs are in our old town. Um, but it was more than that. What I'd really want to talk to him about would be um, the a couple of things. The use of as a photographer, I'm always trying to find a landscape to make perfect and pretty, and I will find the angle where the telephone pole and the wires aren't necessarily in it. I have a lot of static, beautiful shots from Italy where I you know, worked very hard to keep the people out, and um, Watkins Glen State Park, beautiful waterfalls where you have to time your shots so that there's no people in them, you know. But he he went out of his way to put the telephone pole in and the wire and where is that going? And his people always always look lonely. Always look somewhat sad. You know, and there's a lot of interpretations out there, a lot of books on what Hopper meant when he painted it, but I'd like to hear from him, you know, how he felt. Did was that an extension of himself? Did he feel that way? You know, there's always these theories about it. it was a it was a um his way of expressing about technology in the 20th century and all that, um, and how it made us more isolated. But is that really what he felt? Or did he just, his characters just had that look on their faces? I don't know, and I'd really, that's the one I'd really like to know from him. So
1: you are drawn to the same kind of lonely characters in the painting.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But I wanna take your question, which of course is very cliche, but we rocked it, I think, right? <laughs> I want to turn it into a challenge and I want to say, everyone in the room invite an artist to a meal and pick their brains and get to know them. A living artist, don't wait until they're dead and gone.
0: Because despite how I look, we do need to be fed.
1: (laughs) And maybe it's not an artist. Maybe it's a musician from Jazz on J Street or something. We all, you know, we wait until people are gone and and these icons. But if we get to know the stories of the people who are doing it now, I mean, I don't know. I think we're just so enriched. So who's down? Take a person to lunch. Get to know them. Someone you want to get to know. Do it.
0: And I think Wendy would be shaking her head at that because when we had the first interview session that was with Quick the Poet, and the three of us went out to dinner and she got to meet this guy that I've been talking about for the last year about how amazing he is and this wide-ranging conversation that I think all three of us left the room enriched and better for having had the conversation.
1: he's a live dude.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, he's easy to talk to. You
1: know, at least that's something you can make happen, right?
0: Yeah, so pick a living artist. You don't have to dig one up.
1: Right. <laughs> well, you could, but.
0: So uh, hey. like, like me, now that we're changing gears back to what I was thinking about, well, y- you recently, I'm a little bit back in my box again. Um, you recently moved to South Florida. How long ago was that? Three years. Three years. So we're two years, you're three years. Um, how has South Florida changed or influenced your work, or has it? I haven't seen anybody prancing around the beach in any of your paintings that I remember. So maybe it hasn't changed anything.
1: No, I think it's changed the pace of, of, of my art life. There's so many events, so many shows, so many people. Yeah,
0: you're a busy woman. The
1: pace is crazy, so it's made me you know, much busier. Um, but I tend to be very protective of my vibe and my art. I'm in a couple of very select critique groups, but mostly I don't want to hear what other artists have to say about my work because, like we said in the beginning, artists can be real assholes. If it's not the right artist, if it's not part of that groovy lift em up tribe, you know, there's a way to give criticism, but some are just like, I had one person say, um, you know, what you do isn't art. like, you know, I really
0: don't care what you think. Wait,
1: what? Yeah, yeah. So, um,
0: that sounds like a bitter oil painter who hasn't sold a painting in ten years. That was an
1: abstract <laughs> painter, and quite an elevated one, whose goal is museums and stuff. But, uh,
0: but rarefied and, air.
1: You know. So, um, I try not to let South Florida change my art because there are a lot of very opinionated, bossy people down here, except in Lake Worth. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's groovy. So, yeah.
0: How about okay. you? Okay. Um, I think the subject matter has changed um, because the landscape for me changed. So as a photographer I went from hiking in the uh, Catskills and shooting a lot of waterfalls to getting ass deep in the swamps of the Everglades and discovering those which, um, you know, when I left New York I was really worried about what I would find subject wise and there's a world of stuff to shoot here. Architecturally, people, obviously people, um, and the landscape is different and exciting, and it's, it's recharged me having this newness to, to play with. So for me, that's, that's the impact that I've had from South Florida. It just set a creativity bug up my butt and sent me on my way.
1: Who follows him on social media? So how many people see him posting these things? Oh, I was in such a such a swamp, blah, blah, blah. And I'm terrified every time you do that. Did you know a woman was just eaten in plantation by an alligator?
0: Well, she teased, <laughs> she teased it because it was a little dog, and the alligator <laughs> wanted the dog, and she got in the way. So
1: anyway, every time he's shooting these photos and putting them up and then blogging about it, I'm like, he's going to be eaten alive. <laughs> so maybe that's really good. Yeah, it's just kind of like a horror movie. I'm waiting, you know.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's less dangerous than one would think. I, I go out with guides. Who know the swamps that I'm in? Uh, I'm. I, I, I have not. You were bushwhacking. I <laughs> have not bushwhacked yet. Um, and in in the last conversation, uh, when the photographers group is here last week, we talked about photographing lightning because Sean Moss does a lot of lightning, and I go with him sometimes. Um, and he was talking about July 4th. He got the shot of fireworks up in the air and a lightning strike at the same time over the Lake Worth Bridge. I mean once-in-a-lifetime shot, and he was talking about the fact that it was raining so hard that he had his baseball hat over his camera, and it's, the water is running off his lens, and he said, yeah, I stayed too long. The lightning was getting really close. I'm, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> Wendy's never going to let me go play with Sean again. So, danger seems to be an element to my work at this point. Uh,
1: maybe danger maybe. should be your title, in your title for a little
0: while. Oh, Carl Danger, I don't know. Carl
1: Danger, Stoblin, yeah, Ooh. I want to know what you're up to with that
0: name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the party ger animal, not an animal. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be somewhat buttoned up and have to escape out of my, my personality to, to be the guy that creates.
1: You need a Lola.
0: You need, need a Lola? You paint yourself a Lola. I wonder what we'll call him. That's
1: something to think about.
0: Yeah, oh, I've, everyone's got a homework assignment, that's Good. mine. Carl's alter ego. <laughs> um, so before I start to do a wrap-up and thank yous and that sort of stuff, I wanted to open up the floor to any questions for Jen, and what will happen is, since you guys aren't mic'd, ask the question, I'll repeat it so it gets recorded, and then Jen will answer.
1: Good, that buys me time to think, too. There you go. Yeah,
0: I like it. Ready, Anybody? Go. Go.
1: Yeah. And you really did not start painting until you were 47? That's correct. I drew stick people. Yeah. When you were a child, ever, you I you know you told a story about being banned, but... Uh, yes. the point you were banned, were you interested in art? No, never. I was, um, I was the kid who played in the woods and wouldn't come home until my mother rang the cowbell, which is how she summoned us, and uh covered in mosquito bites and scrapes all the time. I never came in the house. I had no interest in drawing. No, and it wasn't until I guess it was because I had lost the ability to really play as an adult in my career, and when someone told me that I could just play, what? It was like some sort of epiphany. I swear it was a come to Jesus moment for me. Like what? I'm gonna play
0: without actually having to come to Jesus. Yeah, I, didn't, no, I didn't have to. I didn't
1: have to. Um, No, self-taught, but what I did do was once I decided that I wanted to learn and I knew I needed instruction, I pursued every class. I would practice, practice, practice. My um, mentor, Caroline C. Brown, if you look her up, she's an amazing mixed media artist. She used to get so upset with me because she'd give homework and I'd have it done in three hours and I'd be calling her, what's next? And she'd be like, that's supposed to last a week. I'm like, no, 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 I need more. So I just kept going and everything everyone told me, I'd fly around the country, take classes from people. If you could ever take a class from Jesse Reno in Portland, Oregon. He's a former skate deck artist. He uses nothing but the worst crappy paints and pumps, like the preschool paints and he mixes them in his hands. So he's like, you can't make color until you can make it in your hands. Took class right. from it. It's just, you just do it because you, you want to learn how to do it. You just pursue knowledge, but you have to work it like a job. Eight hours a day, seven days a week, like it's your own business. So yeah, self-taught. Yes? Yeah. Did she ever study drawing? No.
0: So the question was, did she ever study drawing. Oh yeah, I'm so sorry. That's okay, saying. we broke the rules already. Me, no, me and my I, rules and boxes.
1: I never did, although my goal for this coming year is to take life drawing classes, and because I struggle with my drawing. I can do it, but I probably take five times as long as someone who's taken drawing
0: classes. I'm in the same boat. I, the, it's the, the weakest link of my art world is my drawing, um, which is why I think I lean towards photography at first. It was a way to get around the drawing part and be able to, you know, have the material in front of me to create the painting that I wanted to make from the scene that I saw without having to make the drawing that looked like, you know, I had no arms and was doing it with my teeth and had never tried it before.
1: I like that idea, though, because I get the best drawings when I use the wrong hand. I'm a left-hander, but when I put that hand behind my back and I draw with this one, it's way looser and more painterly. I'm going to try to...
0: Yeah, here.
1: I'm going to do it.
0: Your brain is, get away from your writing hand. That's absolutely true Um, because we will go to characters. We will go to what our brain thinks is supposed to be in front of us instead of what is in front of us. So that's that's really true.
1: Question in the back, I saw you. He's saying, my art looks like it's coming through the eyes of a child. Yes, I think we need to be childlike. I think we need to feel those feelings and put that out there and not be censoring that. We are so used to censoring anything that's playful or childlike in us. But isn't that what we love in other people? When you see someone just really enjoying doing something in a playful, wonderful way, don't you just want to grab that and just put it in your heart and say, ah, I want some? So yes, exactly. If it and stops being childlike. It's
0: not going to be good. You need point. to surround yourself with people like Jen who want to absorb that <laughs> and take in that because there are people out in the world that go, Why is that person happy? I don't know what that's about, but they can't have that. Wah <laughs> wah.
1: <laughs> 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 I've painted a couple of those on really bad days. My wah wah girls, yeah.
0: <laughs> are there any more questions?
1: Thank you the welcome? name of the writer of the Mark Nepo, How you his last name? N-E-P-O. Okay. Mark N-E-P-O. But Nepo, Mark Nepo. But what I want you to read is um, Brian Rutenberg's book. What is it called? A Clear Seeing Place. So who knows Brian Rutenberg? Look him up. Look at his works, My God, he's the most amazing, massive, vibrant abstract artist who is famous right now and in, in museums. But he's like the Carl of famous painters. He's down to earth. He wrote this book, which is autobiographical, but it's really about how to be a good artist in the world. And he's one of those groovy guys who says, be nice, play nice, be a good business partner, show up on time, put on your suit. And he also has, on YouTube, there's a a video channel where you can basically watch him narrating the chapters of the book. He even shows himself in his BiPAP machine, you know, eating too many donuts, whatever. He's, just, he's vulnerable and he's human, and yet he's this massive success who's really approachable. And so I think he's kind of like the formula for how to do it right and be a good artist and a good human and be massively successful. And plus it's an entertaining read. What was the name of that? Brian Rutenberg, A Clear Seeing Place. Rutenberg.
0: All right, so we all have homework.
1: Yeah. Mark Nepo's the other one. Anything by Mark Nepo, you're going to read the first chapter and go, what? That's a lot of thinking. Yes? These these, these incredible images, these young yes. ladies, I mean, the, the characters that are, did you see them ever before you started of thinking, uh, no. back, back when you were working in banking or whatever, but prior to that? Because a lot of years went by. Did you, did you have them in your mind, or yeah. were they something later? Now, she's asking if I ever saw my characters before. Uh, no, never. And um, it really just came down to um, someone challenged me because we're all, all of us who are artists, hesitant to paint humans, right? Um, no one wants to paint portraits They're Oh, you have to follow these dimensional lines. It has to be symmetrical or people aren't going to find it.
0: Figures took me a long time to jump into in watercolor. And right. they actually helped me loosen up.
1: But then um, someone just challenged me to go ahead and do it and do it in a, in a loose way. And I just started doing these faces. And when you do them wonky and off balance and the eyes are in the wrong place and the mouth is good, and all of a sudden they're, you're like, oh, I just want to hug you. You're so cute and ugly at the same time. And so it just became this freedom to let them express who they are. I believe very much in intuitive painting. I throw down a background first. And if I see something appear, I paint that. I don't question it. I don't try to do something different. And so once I started with these few very primitive girls, and I have done some boys, but mostly it's girls who speak to me, um, then they just started appearing. And so I'll try to do a wonderful abstract, and this girl shows up and is like, uh. Nah, nah, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, never saw them, but there they are.
0: Is there one that keeps reoccurring, that keeps showing up on your canvas?
1: I think they're all the same girl, really. They okay. just have different hair, they have different outfits, sometimes they're in a good mood, and sometimes they're bitchy queens. Um, I think we all have so many facets of ourselves and we try to blend it down to one boiled potato with maybe a little butter. But we are so much more varied and interesting than that, so I just give them all the freedom to be who they are, and some of them are not very pretty parts of me, Oh, they're still
0: me. they're real yeah they're real and that's that's what people see and i think that's really important and i think the the authenticity and the vulnerability is what makes people drawn to the art whether it's the photographs these these people were having these nice conversations before i clicked anything and it was just they were being themselves. You're right. They were vulnerable. They were authentic. I let them come out of their shell before I started taking any pictures. And that's why these people are reaching out to you. Why you want to read their story as you walk past it and hear what they had to say.
1: You created a safe place for them. You can see that in the photos. They feel like, you're protecting whatever it is they're doing, they can be vulnerable.
0: And I think, I'm, I'm thankful it was Lake Worth because Lake Worth allowed that feeling in me to allow them to do that, because I didn't always have that in my portraits. I would find, it, you know, much more shots and, and force it to get there, you know, the, the lighting and being technical about the process. I enjoy this so much more.
1: Who's had their photo taken by this man?
0: <sighs>
1: well, of course. <laughs> It's Jose, right? Is it it Jose? Yeah. Okay. So I just had my photo taken by him for the first time just outside before this thing. And what did you feel when he's behind the camera? You don't feel that stress of someone's taking your picture, do you? Don't you feel like safe space? It's just a whole... I
0: was comfortable. Yeah. Real comfortable.
1: And I hate having my picture taken. But he's just like, "Eh," and I could just feel this... It's like this womb of, it's okay, just be yourself. And s. Kind of
0: some
1: rare magic there, so. uh, right? But he did it. Yeah, he did. You got this thing. So.
0: Well, it, and thank you. And it it kind of stumbled in, and I remember struggling with it when I had the studio in New York, and and Wendy was there. She could see when I was making that happen, and we would see it when we would review the pictures. Like you had them there. They were they were ready for you to take that shot, um, and I didn't always come to each shoot with that preparation with that, making that connection. Here the connection came first and the photo just naturally happened and I think that was, you know, um, we're saying the same thing, just different tools. Um, So that's really kind of neat.
1: Who knew you had a womb?
0: I birthed this whole project so I guess I have a big old womb. So Jen, thank you so much for making the trip up here and You're for welcome. talking to us tonight and Pleasure. being the, the closing act of at least the first part of I Am Lake Worth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before I forget, uh, we are raffling off a $25 gift card to Common Ground, so make sure you put your name in the bucket in the back and we will raffle it off tonight. Um, speaking of Common Grounds, let me thank them again for being the sponsor of the interview series. Justin has been just fantastic. He really, really cares about his community, and we are looking for ways to continue to work together as this project keeps going. Um, speaking of this project keeping going, as long as I'm going to shamelessly self-promote, this is we're calling this Chapter 1 of I Am Lake Worth at this point. Um, There is going to be a chapter two and potentially a chapter three that will have enough people and enough stories to make a book that we can all share and have and absorb and and be connected with. Um, The other thing that's going to happen is these 36 people and some of the people that were shot that have not made it onto the wall yet, um, while I'm photographing section two, I'm also going to be sitting down with each one of these people, just like we're recording this event for the podcast, and we're going to do 15-minute interviews, more expanded than what we're able to put on the pictures, get their real sense of Lake Worth beyond the, the single question of what makes Lake Worth special, get into a little bit, and that's what's going to be the meat and potatoes of their article in the book to go with their pictures. Um, so we're going to do that. Um, so big things coming making all kinds of connections in the city, and things have just opened up for me since we started this in the last couple of weeks, and so much thanks has to go to the CRA and um, Lake Worth Arts for making that happen for me. Providing me the space to have this and a deadline to get it done was really what made me birth this. I gave birth to this because I had a a deadline. Um, All
1: pregnancies have a deadline.
0: Uh Absolutely true. Um, So, Susan and Emily and Jose, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Uh, Couldn't have put on the show without you guys. Um, Again, a thank you to Matthew's Brewery for supporting us in the opening. Uh, Some really, really great brews. I, of course, have to thank Wendy. Uh, She puts up with me being an artist and free spirit and um, takes the responsibility of bringing in the bread that keeps everything rolling in our household. Um, I also have to thank uh, Pamela DePama, who is our friend and neighbor. She did um, social media and PR for me, as well as what Susan did through um, the CRA. So we had a double pronged approach with me also doing posting. So some people probably looked at their feeds in the morning and saw 20 things from me before they saw anything else. So if that bothered you, I apologize, but it was important to get the word out. Also have to thank our friend, Kim Lingle, who helped wrangle some of the sponsors and was a big supporter around town. I have to thank all of the I Am Lake Worth subjects, because without these people, there is no project. Um, Lake Worth is this incubator of creativity and freedom to be who you are. But without each of these people agreeing, and everybody did, you know, anybody I asked just said, Sure, when do you want me? It was just that easy. There were no fights on these. Um, so I have to thank the folks who sat for me and thank Lake Worth and look out because there's more to come. Yay. So thank you all.
1: It's called Lake Worth in Florida.
0: On any map, you'll see. From John Prince Park to Ocean Shore, it feels
1: like home to me.